Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito. I was Gus Fring in Breaking Bad. I am Major Tom Neville in Revolution, and I played Sydney and the Mirror in Once Upon a Time, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now your hosts, Scott and Miles. Your table is ready. It's long and prosperous. This is the capital. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 166. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening. I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And we have a phenomenal, phenomenal podcast for you tonight. And it really is all about what is science fiction? What is science fiction? What is good science fiction? Yeah. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what does it mean to have science fiction, right? And so this is kind of what we're discussing, and it's not just Miles and I discussing. We are bringing in some awesome panelists that are going to be joining us in just a bit. Right. Who, who's joining us? Well, um, kind of the man who uh, started this uh, um, this this discussion, um, maybe not intentionally, but you know what how that, how that goes. Uh, so Raul Yabara will be joining us this evening. Yes, yes. And uh, one of our listeners and, and contributors, and he's joined us for a couple uh, Sci-Fi Rewinds, um, Kalis himself, uh, Jim Arrowwood. And uh, we are going to have um, really an, a, an authority and maybe somebody who can help, it, 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 well, if not settle, settle this argument. At least um, stoke it. Stoke it, maybe even stoke it more. Um, but uh, we have a real science fiction writer. Um, he's written some of my favorite Star Trek novels over the years and some of the Italian novels, but uh, uh, Mr. Keith uh, uh, DeCanado. Yeah, so they'll all be joining us in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, But we have just a few things that we need to take care of as far as business goes with the Sci-Fi Diner. That we do. So um, in a moment, we're going to be bringing you that discussion, and we're going to end, as we always do, with the Sci-Fi 5 and 5, which comes from Raul, mm-hmm. uh, his top five fringe moments ever. Mm-hmm. So just one more time, we get to talk about fringe here in the show. But we're going to start by uh, talking about some trivia here and giving away tonight a really awesome prize. Sure. Um, and so, Miles, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Tell us what was the trivia question and what was the code word they needed to include, and then tell us about this little nice prize we got for him. Sure. Uh, so we asked... Um, we know Tony Amendola for his work on Stargate SG-1 and most recently Continuum, but he also uh, guest starred in a Star Trek series, and, and we're asking you, what Star Trek series did Tony Amendola guest star in? Right, right, and um, 
And I think we give extra credit too if they got the episode right. They, their geek cred would uh, cyber, you know, would go above the heavens. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they had to include a code word in order to answer it. The code word was uh, tritonin, and uh, that was the substance that helped the Jaffa survive without a symbiote. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, in, what would they win if they got the answer to this right? Well, you have kindly provided uh, this uh, wonderful. Star Trek Into Darkness movie poster that we got at Farpoint. Oh, that's awesome. It's sitting right here. And um, also um, uh, Starship Farragut's latest work on DVD, um, The Price of Anything on DVD. So as you're waiting for Star Trek 11, it's 12, 12, mm-hmm. you can watch Starship Farragut. And it's really well done. Yeah. If you, if you, if you like original series Trek, uh, Farragut does a really good job of uh, um, making their own stories yeah. in the original Trek universe. And uh, did you give the answer already? Uh, I haven't. So, let, so the answer was, it was a, it, the, 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 the series was Star Trek Voyager, and it was the sixth season, and um, it was the episode Muse, and he was yeah. Muse number three. Right. And he played one of the chorus. Yes. Right? One of the chorus in that. And we did get someone that, we actually got a bunch of people that got this right, and we, so we did our little magic pool names out of a hat, and uh, Judy the Polish Blonde won. This cool. So, Judy, the Polish Bond, I will be contacting you. I have your email right here to find out your address, unless you send it to me first. If you hear this before I get to send it to you, just uh, let me know where I can send this awesome sauce to you, and you will get it. Congratulations, yeah, Judy. congratulations to that. Well, before we go into our huge discussion about what is science fiction, we're going to play a promo from a guy that's going to be joining us. And this is um, Jim, of course, Kalis, as we often refer to him on the show, Jim Harrowood, who's joined us for numerous different podcasts. Mm-hmm. And we've had uh, an awesome time when he's been on every single time. He, he's very knowledgeable, and so he's a very good contributor. and. Yeah. He has a voice for radio or yeah. for audiobooks or something. And apparently has a pen for writing or a keyboard for typing because he runs his own blog called, G- called Jim's Sci-Fi Blog, where he has all sorts of musings, including musings about what we're going to be talking about tonight. Right, right. Yeah, so is Star, for, is Star, for, is Star Wars science fiction, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you can find us all at Jim's Sci-Fi Blog. And so here's a promo, a new promo that he just sent in. When you don't read Jim's Sci-Fi Blog, you are uninformed of the science fiction world. When you are uninformed about the science fiction world, you go to the cantina. When you go to the cantina, you meet attractive Cylon women who want to take you to outer space. Wondered when you'd get here. When Cylon women take you to outer space, you have to run for your life. When you run for your life, you trip on a tribble and sprain your wrist. When you sprain your wrist, you get medical attention from a doctor named Walter Bishop. I had a fruit cocktail once. Don't seek medical attention from a doctor named Walter Bishop. Assimilate jimscifiblog.com. Resistance is futile. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction... His essence has become crucial to our salvation, if we are to be saved at all. Well, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Miles, we've had some awesome people just suddenly appear out of nowhere. The um, the magic of Skype. Yeah, the gods of of Skype, right, have, mm-hmm. have deemed it worthy to 
release these minions to us, I guess. Um, with us, we have all sorts of <laughs> we have all sorts of people joining us tonight, and uh, we're just going to go around the room, and if you can tell us just a little bit about yourself. Uh, Raul, why don't you start? Well, I'm Raul. I live in the St. Louis area on the Illinois side. Um, I write a blog called uh, The Christian Geek, and I guess the one of the easiest ways of describing me is I'm a bona fide mad scientist. No um, cardiac research and uh, software engineer used to stop people's hearts to see if I could start them again. Um, other than that, I'm mostly proud of being uh, the father of Antonio and the wife of Anthea. Awesome. And your wife writes some pretty good music. She's a musician. She's a bassoonist with a master's from CalArt and does a lot of teaching uh, out here mostly. Uh, she's had some wrist injuries, but um, yeah, brilliant. Uh, I think at least she's a brilliant composer. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. And uh, we, were, we were joking around right before we started recording that we blamed Raul for coming up with this podcast, but there's a lot of people that <laughs> kind of share the blame on that. Keith, uh, you're joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Our listeners will be somewhat familiar with you. I uh, Possibly. They, uh, I'm Keith DeCandido. I write, you know, books and stuff. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I, I hope to write more books. Um, I've also written some short stories and comic books. Uh, a lot of them are in the realm of the media tie-in world, Star Trek novels, um, World of Warcraft novels. I uh, just recently had a leverage novel published called The Zoo Job, which is currently out from Boulevard Books. Please go out to your local bookstore and buy them early and buy them often. Um, and uh, I've got a bunch of stuff coming out this year, including um, a couple short story collections, including Tales from Dragon Precinct and Ragnarok and Roll. And um, I also actually worked on a baseball book this year. I, I have a, a Lindy Sports, the uh, in the dugout for the Yankees this year, it was co-edited by myself and Cecilia Tan, and that's out uh, uh, from Lindy's. That's sort of an odd little thing, but mostly I do science fiction. I've written about fifty novels, and I blog, I Facebook, I tweet, I do all that silly social media stuff. Right, and uh, you you are the and I, and, and I do a bunch of other podcasts, including my own Dead Kitchen Radio and the Chronic Rift. And occasionally I show up on other people's podcasts like this one. Right, right. And you are talking... because people you, can't get me to shut up. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's there's truth to that. I've been on pan- <laughs> I, I've been I've been on panels with Keith and uh, and uh, there's evidence. Go right, Miles. Sure. <laughs> so yep, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, you can't plug enough some of your own original work, the Goblin Precinct series that you've been uh, working on, releasing books on. What's the next novel we have out for that? Uh, the next novel is going to be Griffin Precinct. That should be out in the fall. Okay. Um, but you have some short stories coming out? The next actual book, uh, yeah, is going to be uh, Tales from Dragon Precinct, which will be released actually at Balticon, uh, which will be Memorial Day weekend down in Hunt Valley, Maryland. And it'll be released, uh, so the end of May, basically, is when the uh, book will be out. That'll be uh, both reprints and new stories. Uh, reprints of some stories that have appeared in anthologies over the years and uh, five stories that have never been in print before. Oh, very good, very good, and you do the voice of Todd Rage on uh, on HD World, on HD yes. World as well. Yes. All right, you parse like award-winning HD. Yeah, yeah. Miles clarify that, and Jim. Uh, come yeah, on, we Jay, Jay, Jay insists we now refer to it as that. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we also have Jim with us, and Jim, welcome to the show again. Yes, thank you. Yeah. 
We, we, we had Jim on just uh, about a month ago to talk about Blade Runner, right? Right. Had a good discussion of Blade yeah. Runner and all that show. And uh, we have a lot. We have, a, we have a nicer signal from Jim tonight. Yes, I made sure that uh, I checked everything and uh, told the <laughs> ISP that they'd be in big trouble if they didn't get it fixed. Yeah, and it was. He was having ISP problems, right? You were having ISP problems that kind of caused some of the signal loss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was about uh, one eighth of my normal download speed. So, oh, so it's no wonder we were getting a signal that was kind of cutting out all the time. Um, now, yes. you, you also you were partying like it was nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, literally, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe nineteen eighty nine, depending on the bald modem he was using. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jim, you also run a blog called Jim Sci Fi Blog, and you blogged at least a little bit about the subject we're going to be talking about in a moment. Uh, yeah, just uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, March first, I I put up a post on this. Yeah, yeah. Well, very good. And so, and Miles, of course, is here with us. I co-host a Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Yes, yes. If you uh, didn't know that by now, if you're tuning in, we assume that you uh, <laughs> kind of know that. Well, I want to start off with a uh, little bit of a history of how we got into this discussion and how we ended up arranging this whole thing. And I'll make this real brief. Uh, it started with uh, Sci-Fi Five and Five that. Uh, Raul had called in, and uh, I forget what was the original Sci-Fi Five and Five about. I forget. Uh, the original, the original was top five science fiction TV series. Right, and then and he I said restricted it just to science fiction. Right, kept and, the fantasy stuff out of it and superhero stuff out of it. Right, right, and you were very diligent about that. And then you did kind of the same thing with movies, right? And that's kind of what got the ball rolling. Correct. Right. And then uh, he made the, he made a small comment that you know sci- that Star Wars wasn't really at least good sci-fi, and some listeners interpreted that as being uh, he's he's hating on Star Wars, and they called in and kind of kind of fueled the discussion, and this kind of ended up to <laughs> in a long roundabout ways is why we're here tonight talking about what is science fiction. <laughs> so. And if I can go on the record, um, I do not hate Star Wars, especially uh, the original. Like I started in my intro. Uh, <laughs> Before A New Hope, uh, at a time when Han shot first, there was <laughs> Star Wars. I had my son totally hooked on it by age three. So oh, nice. it, it, definitely, it definitely falls into the category of one of my all-time favorite movies. Awesome. It's awesome. just that, and hopefully we'll get into this as the discussion goes, as far as great science fiction, and when I'm talking great science fiction, I'm putting things like, Asimov's Foundation Trilogy, some of Silverberg's stuff, uh, you know, some of the greater literature, even going, let's go back to Verne or even Shelley. Uh, I wouldn't put Star Wars definitely in the category of that kind of great science fiction. Mm. Very good. And so that's kind of the caveat that kind of uh, brings us to... That's the caveat. Yeah, that, that brings us to the, uh, the current point. Well, so here's my preamble, and then we'll kind of leap into... Uh, what is sci-fi and how people uh, are maybe going to maybe answer that? So here's a preamble to our discussion tonight. And uh, I, I pulled this from somewhere and it was it said it so well that I had to use it. And I need to go back and find out where I, so I can credit in the website. But it said, <laughs> yeah, I see, because I was just ripping it from probably Wikipedia or something. It said, science okay. fiction is difficult to define as it includes a wide range of subgenres and themes. Author and editor Damien Knight summed up it, the difficulty saying science fiction is what 
we point to and say when we say it. A definition echoed by author Mark C. Glassy, who argues that the definition of science fiction is like the definition of pornography. You don't know what it is, but you know it when you see it. Uh, Vladimir uh, Nabokov, uh, I guess, argued that when we were rigorous about our definition, Shakespeare's play The Tempest would have been termed science fiction. According to the science fiction writer Robert A. Heinlein, a handy short definition of almost all science fiction just might read, realistic speculation about possible future events based solidly on adequate knowledge of real-world past and present and on a thorough understanding of the nature and significance of scientific method. Rod Sterling's definition is fantasy is the impossible made probable. Science fiction is the improbable made possible. Lester Del Rey wrote, even devoted, even the devoted aficionado or fan is hard time trying to explain what science fiction is and that the reason for there not being a full satisfactory definition is that there are no easily delineated limits to science fiction. So this kind of sets up... um, a little bit about what we're here discussing tonight. What is science fiction? Hmm. Uh, anyone want to take a stab at the first shot of uh, tackling this question? I actually um, tackled this question uh, a while back. I um, in two thousand three, which um, I just realized to my great depression was ten years ago. <laughs> um, I, I edited an anthology called Imagining. It was. Um, uh, it, the subtitle was an anthology of long short fiction. It was specifically uh, an anthology of, of stories that were novel at length. Uh, stories between about 8,000 and 15,000 words. Some of the best stories in the genre have been of that length. It's longer than the average short story, but um, so with a little more depth to it. And um, I had 10 stories in there, and I wrote an introduction for it, and that was where I, I defined uh, science fiction. Uh, and, and honestly, this this definition applies to both fantasy and science fiction is that it's the world we live in with at least one major change whether sometimes that change is simply moving forward or backward in time sometimes it's the world we know but vampires exist uh sometimes it's someone from our world falls down a rabbit hole or goes into a wardrobe or travels through a wormhole and goes to some other thing sometimes the changes that the axis one world war two um sometimes the sun is eaten by a giant space goat whatever it's the point is usually it's more complex than that but at the very least um science fiction and fantasy are, are genres in which the setting is not real and it's the only genre in which the setting is not real hmm so you're, but but in that definition, we lump science fiction and fantasy together. Yes, because honestly, I don't see the point in separating them. Really, um, there's for one thing, <laughs> few people do. For one thing, um, and uh, the 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 line between them can get pretty thin. Star Wars is an obvious example. So we're in McCaffrey's Dragon Rider uh, novels, which have all the trappings of fantasy, but are are considered really science fiction. But you know, again, the the, the the line between the two of them get incredibly blurry, and I don't, I don't see the need to make a distinction between the two. All right, very good. Certainly, and there is no, there isn't a single bookstore in the country that does. So. <laughs> yeah, so as long as we can trust the uh, the booksellers to make the distinction for us, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Raul, Raul, you were going to say something. Yeah, as I was gonna say, and Keith, one thing to keep in mind: even when you do get the hard target, um, if you try to make a hard target, it's still a moving target. Uh, think about Star Trek. I remember, I'm, I guess, I don't know if I'm the only one old enough to remember the first run of it, but 
there were a lot of people that were dissing on Star Trek as not science fiction, uh, calling it fantasy, science fantasy. And, gee, I'm holding an iPod in my hand. I flip open my uh, cell phone, or at least my old cell phone used to flip open like a communicator. Uh, just the kind of conversation with the technology we have now. And All that fantasy is fact. Because of Star Trek anyway, but... What was that, Keith? And, and, and well, to start, it's funny because uh, the original Star Trek, in particular, uh, uh, had a very, em- a pretty strong emphasis on trying to um, be as uh, I, I don't want to say scientifically rigorous, but at the very least, scientifically plausible as possible. It didn't always succeed, but um, at the time he was uh, producing the first two seasons of the show, Roddenberry was very much a futurist and 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 wanted to at least have something vaguely convincing. Uh, he had it didn't always work, especially since. Uh, certain sacrifices needed to be made for the uh, realities of producing a TV show on a low budget. Right. But, um, but uh, especially when you compare it to the other science fiction at the time, particularly like, you know, Lost like Lost in that, Space. It was, much more, it was better science fiction. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Raul, were you done, or did you have uh, more to say on that? No, I was actually just more or less agreeing with him. It's like, yeah, like, um, I mean, I, I was... Six years old, I guess, at the time uh, Star Trek was playing. And give me a choice between Trek and Lost in Space. It was Trek every every time. I used to have to sneak and watch it with my grandfather because my parents really didn't approve of all that spaceship laser, black, you know, boom, boom, warp speed alien stuff. Right. Was that going to make you a violent child at school? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Maybe we should be asking Jim that question since he's a teacher. Is that going to make you a violent child at school? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I no, I don't buy into that uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Actually, if you want to, speaking of children, uh, you want to, if you'd like to hear my son, I just on a lark asked Antonio last night. So, Antonio, what is science fiction? Now, bear in mind, he's nine years old, okay? Okay. Uh, this is his exact words. I, I wrote it down. Uh, science fiction is something that combines mythology and science. Some examples are Star Trek, Babylon 5, Terminator, Transformers, Aliens, and Fringe. Now, he hasn't seen uh, Terminator, Alien, or Fringe, so <laughs> the others, he, he's definitely, yeah, yeah um, Scott. Even my son has watched Babylon 5. Take uh, yeah. <laughs> I know you're still dogging about it. I will get there. <laughs> but I just, I just got, I just gotten to Grimm now, and I'm enjoying Grimm. So, but that, when you get to, when you that's get to nine year old's definition. Yeah, that's a good, that's to, a, that's a good definition, though. I like that yeah. definition, and that kind especially of especially including of mythology. Right, and that's kind of an interesting because uh, you don't often lump mythology into the science fiction genre. Um, Jim, uh, why don't you yes. jump, jump into the com- conversation here? Uh, where, where do you fall in with what Keith and what Raul are saying regarding sci-fi? Well, see, that's, that's where my problem is. I'm not, I am trying to figure this out for myself. Okay. Um, Star Trek to me has always been science fiction. Uh, Star Wars was science fiction until, oh, it was a diner show way back. <laughs> And uh, I started to think, well, geez, you know, the, the Star Wars does not sound like science fiction to me. It sounds like fantasy. And I mentioned that on a 
on one of the shows, and Miles immediately said, no, it is science fiction. And I said, okay, then why? And so it's been kind of an ongoing exploration for me. I'm, I'm here on a learning process, really. Um, for me, it's science fiction if there is science involved, regardless of whether it is factual science or invented science. I can live, I can live with either one of those as long as there's something scientific going on uh, to discover what the solution to the problem is or what the root of the problem is, to me, that's science fiction. Okay, very good. Um, Miles, let's jump in. Let's have, let's have your thoughts on uh, what is science fiction to you? Yeah, that's it, it, it's grown over time. I mean, as a, as a you know, my, like for a lot of you, first foray into science fiction was, was Star Trek original series. And then um, I'm going to kind of fast forward a lot um, about, um, you know, seven or eight years ago, somebody tuned me into Firefly. And Firefly didn't have like the cool phasers or transporters or even warp speed. But um, I had these people in this this, uh, old spaceship – that told that explored these characters lives and how they relate to each other and how they relate to the world around them. And, um, these un, in some ways unremarkable people, but, um, but done remarkably. Um, so, um, I, I guess I, I think Keith said it, 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 it's today's world, but maybe, maybe it was something unreal. Um, I mean, Firefly takes place 500 or so years into the future, and they're in this solar system. They have spaceships. They have some other nifty gadgets. Um, their, their life is, they're usually flying around the solar system um, in things that we don't even, we're, we're still trying to make and conceive. But I, I thought Firefly was, was, was still science fiction, but I thought it took maybe a step above and, and really kind of explore the human condition um, in a really cool way. Yeah. Now, I, you know... So, Miles... Go ahead, Jim. Miles, are you saying that it is social science fiction? In, I, I, well, like you, Jim, I'm still trying to figure that out for myself, too. Um, Why couldn't I, it be? I mean, there's there's science fiction that... It is more about, you know, the the, the spaceships and, and, the, and the ray guns or whatever. But then there's there's other science fiction that really tries to explore the human condition and see, you know, human beings or life forms struggle through something or work through something. And the older I get, the more I mean, I can still watch Star Wars and really enjoy it, but. Um, I could still, you know, pop in a DVD of Firefly and just get totally engaged in it. And um, that kind of almost resonates with me a little more now, mm-hmm. now that I'm older. I think I think the whole argument about, about a little Star Wars isn't really science fiction is, is crap. It's, it, it is science fiction. I mean, it, it, it's got ray guns, it's got spaceships, it's got robots. That's science fiction. The, the, the complaint really is that the science sucks. 
which is a perfectly valid complaint. Um, you know, bank turns in space, yep. and we don't even start on midichlorians. Midichlorians aren't real. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah, but the the but we're talking about you know aliens and, and robots and ray guns and, and spaceships and all the rest of it. But it also but the thing is, it also has a lot of the trappings of fantasy. Um, the most obvious being, you know, the lightsabers as a substitute for swords, and the and and, and particularly in the in the, the first three. Uh, movies that came out um that dealing with the forces this as almost like magic um before you just before you decided to insert fake science into it but the i also like what what uh i honestly lost track of who said it uh, about about social science fiction and, and, and what i sometimes refer to as anthropological science fiction uh, some of my favorite works of science fiction don't have any the only science in it really is cultural but Anthropology is as much a science as, as, as anything. And, you know, dealing with alien culture, C.J. Cherry was always particularly good at that. She, she has always done stuff where you're in the point of view of the aliens and, and how they see humans. Um, one of my absolute favorite episodes of, of Star Trek was an episode of The Next Generation uh, called Birthright. The second part of that two-parter entirely involved uh, Klingon on a, uh, in a prison camp with a bunch of Klingons and Romulans. There are for all intents and purposes, no humans in that story at all. It's all about Klingon culture versus Romulan culture. And it works, partly because of Star Trek's own history, but the whole thing is about, you know, what it means to be in a particular culture, the power of storytelling to a culture, and stuff like that. And um, it's, it's that's, that sort of thing is, is one of the great things that science fiction can do. Uh, Jim, what are, we, what are we going to say to Miles? Okay. Uh, yeah, I was going to say to Miles, yeah, social science fiction. There is not a great deal of science taking place on Firefly. Outstanding show, one of my favorites. But the study is more more cultural, uh, cultural differences and how the cultures have come together. And I think social science is just as valid as uh, um, empirical science myself. If I may, I might even add that science fiction, as far as looking at the social sciences, in a, in a big way, it's liberating in that regard because it lets you create the venue. It lets you create the situations to dig into what is it to be human? What are the big questions in life? That's why Antonio's including of mythology I thought was fantastic because, you know, mythology isn't, uh, gee, Apollo's driving a chariot around the sun. Mythology is explanations, looking at truth of the big questions of life. And science fiction gives us the option to really do that in a way that no other medium permits. Well, if you look at, if you look at some of the, uh, some of the Star Wars episodes, they, uh, Star Wars, Star Trek episodes, some of the best episodes were those that delved into the human condition or what it meant to be human, that tackled issues, especially in the original series, that tackled issues that could not be tackled on regular television, and that somehow because they were futuristic and sci-fi that they were okay to talk about. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so in, in that way, it, it, it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a... That's a, that's a really cool aspect of what, we, what we're calling here at least social science fiction. A prime example is a, a story that I just read by Keith not too long ago, The Mirror-Scaled uh, Serpent, uh, from a collection. Um, 
there is very little in there technical. There, there's not really a lot of technical stuff in there, but it's a it's an excellent study of the personalities in the alternate universe, and and just it's just imagination run wild. It it's just really neat. And I don't maybe you don't need all the technical aspects to make a good science fiction story. Mm. I think uh, part of the issue we have is often, at least traditionally, when we think science fiction, we think it must have some science in it, right? We call it science fiction for a reason. I think this is where we get hung up on some time and and when we uh, narrow down our definition, maybe a little bit too hard. Keith, what was your definition uh, earlier that you gave at the very beginning of the show? You said this is a definition you wrote in the intro to that one book. Is that it's the world we're familiar with, but with at least one thing changed. Right. Well, you know, with that definition, we could classify almost any um, any piece of fiction as somehow science fiction. If they change one thing that's not real in the world, are we talking about something a little bit more speculative than this? Yeah. I mean, I didn't say it was a perfect definition. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. Um, I was going to say Downtown Abbey could be that. <laughs> for me when i when i think of science fiction like i think about what got me into science fiction i i was i was hooked into science fiction uh by reading andre norton it was a middle school librarian that handed me galactic derelict and the time trader series and said hey, you gotta read this because i was looking for something to read and it got me hooked and i devoured every piece of science fiction that was on the shelf uh, everything from Asimov to Norse, uh, Heinlein, you know, on down through. And that is what got me into science fiction. And yet, you know, in that series, it was really about the adventure. And it wasn't so much about the science that made things work, although there was technology, but there was time travel in it. And I don't know, for me, it was it was a journey. And I think er very early on, science fiction always had either a future element or a space element to it. And now I realize there's these alternate histories and other things that you can kind of paint with science fiction. But for me, when I think of science fiction, I, I often say, well, if it's in space and it's somehow future, it's, uh, it's, for me, it became science fiction. Um, I realize now as an adult, there's a little bit more to it. But that, I think, still, if I see a series on TV and it's set either in the future or some scientifically explained way, like whether it be poor or bad, you know, Terra Nova in the past, you know, I, there's something about it that, that hooks me because I think it's, you know, resonates with me a little bit more than some of the supernatural stuff sometimes does. I'm with you, Scott. Yeah. But I, just... I, that there, I, there, I would agree. Um, for science fiction, at least not just necessarily, and in some ways, I would almost consider science fiction a subset, um, if you wished, of speculative fiction with an emphasis on the science, on the science side, the element of science. And not necessarily, absolutely, like I think it was Jim that said, or um, Miles that said, uh, placing some emphasis on the social sciences. Not necessarily the hard sciences, but definitely including some of the social sciences. Uh, Shara uh, was a good example. Um, think about some of Heinlein's later works. As he had went on further and further uh, in his career, he went from Starman Jones, which was one of the 
that was my introduction to Heinlein when I was in third grade, to Number of the Beast, in, uh, which is very much, a little odd, a little strange, but very much a social um, dissertation, I guess is the best that I can describe it. This dissertation is a nice way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I always, I always demarcate number of the beast as, as the beginning. Like, I don't. When I recommend Highland to people, I says make check the pub date. If it was, if it was published after 1980, which is when number of the beast was published, do not bother. Um, I would not disagree. I, yeah, I, 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 and I was, I, I got started on science fiction and fantasy pretty much simultaneously uh it's all my parents fault um they basically fed me a diet of Le Guin, Heinlein, uh Tolkien and P.G. Woodhouse when I was too young to actually argue and um at which pretty much had an obvious impact on my life going forward <laughs> right but um but I mean I was just as fascinated by the Heinlein I read a lot of the Heinlein juveniles which had a lot of really cool science stuff in it Including uh, one book, I forget which one it was, that had this lengthy dissertation on, on how completely stupid and ridiculous a car is, um, which is classic. And and then you've got, I, you know, I read Blue Gwyn's Earthsea trilogy where there was no science and it was magic, but it was still just as fascinating to me. Well, Raul, you had you had you had uh, kind of shared with me that that one quote that's kind of been thrown into this discussion. And what is it? Is it Clark's third third rule, or whose third rule was that? Clark's third law. Yeah, that one. Do you want to share it? What was that? Um, Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Right. I believe is yes. yeah. So that's been kind of hailed as saying, "Well, is there really a line?" You know, I think especially I think of that. Uh, uh, I'm a huge Terry Brooks fan, especially the the sort of Shannara or Shannara series. I was I've always pronounced it, um, but the uh, in that there's this there's this um, what appears to be magic and fantasy. But as you go along the series and as you develop the series over time, you find that a lot of this magic is rooted in old world science, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a sense where it's even though I would still consider that series totally fantasy, um, if you want to argue, like as he's developed the background, the history of this world, um, it's almost science fiction to a degree. Or another good example: what about uh, Stephen Donaldson's Thomas Covenant books? Oh, it I forgot about that. the actual events themselves. I mean, it's pure magic fantasy, but it's an alternate parallel universe. He's from. Our world, stricken with leprosy, pulled out by, for lack of a better word, whoever or whatever the god of that universe is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pulling on parallel universe thinking, but drifting it over. Or Zelazny's Amber Chronicles. Yeah. Hey, uh, my, my son. Well, probably, probably the classic example of that, uh, of, of Clark's Third Law, also, is Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Absolutely. That was the whole premise behind it was that, that he was using science and passing it off as magic because to Arthurian people, it was. <laughs> hey, uh, my, my son just showed up. I'm going to ask him the same question Raul asked his son. My, my, son <laughs> my, my son is six years old here. Say hi, Kiefer. Say hi. Hi. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question here. What is science fiction? 
You don't know what science fiction is? What do you watch as science fiction? <laughs> Star Wars. You watch Star Wars? Anything else? Nerdy, nerdy stuff. Star, Star, Star Trek. Star Trek? You don't watch, you watch a little bit of Star Trek. All right. What, what are you watching on TV that's science fiction? Mm. Wait, fiction is, it, fiction is not a real story. That's, that's right, bud. All right, hey, Sci Science fiction is, is, is like a card game that if, if, if you got like a man with like a scientist on there and, 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 and he was actually, and, and he was fiction, that would be a fiction story. All right, all right. Like, like fiction stories. All right, bud. T-M-N-T. Yeah. <laughs> Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles. Oh, hey, case closed, huh? Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh -oh. <laughs> That's what we need to do. We just need to turn these questions over to our kids. They've got it easy. Yeah, no, they, no, no problem answering. The simple they, definition, right? They don't, they don't overanalyze I, it. I, I, I don't. I don't have kids. I'd have to ask my dog. <laughs> right, right. Uh, his definition would be uh, even better, right? Feed me. Yeah, I got both. They're food. pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least where boys are boys and dogs. All right, right. Right. There isn't much of a qualitative difference between a three-year-old boy and a golden retriever. Right, right. <laughs> yep. You know, we, we delve into science fiction. Then we deal with, like, stuff where you get into, like, like the post-apocalyptic genre of science fiction. that We would consider science fiction, but it's really, you know, when you're setting to, there's almost no technology in some of those settings. Like Walking Dead, what technology is there? I mean, okay, whatever created the walkers, but there's no real science going into that at this point. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of living out their lives and existence. They're exploring what it means to really be human. It's another comment, commentary on the social condition, really. Oh, yeah. They def I would definitely say they definitely yeah. explore the human condition. I mean... They, they, zombie fiction, you kind of have to explore the human condition because the bad guys really aren't all that interesting inherently. I mean, zombies are, are, are a force of nature antagonists, and there's not a hell of a lot you can do with them. I mean, the whole, the whole point of doing um, any kind of zombie fiction is to explore how people deal with it yeah how how, how far there's people not much else go. you can do with zombies really yeah unless you, know, you do something like you know the new movie that's out where the, the, the you have the zombie romance but you know right 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 <laughs> right yeah no i no, I, I totally hear you because i mean they that the zombie fiction really does explore you know what does it mean to be human how far do we go as humanity what are our limits uh when does what we consider to be our absolutes right and wrong where do those lines fall when you're suddenly fighting for survival and that really begins to explore some of those deep human questions for us but and what would you do to survive exactly like yeah it, it, it's very true um i love this uh, you know i kind of i think raul you mentioned this but the uh, the term speculative fiction i almost like better than science fiction, I think it's because it's a cop-out for me. I don't have to define whether it's science fiction or fantasy, because speculative fiction kind of covers both. Yeah, put it at the top and science fiction down you know, as one of the leaves off that uh, particular tree. Right. Um, Atwood, Orwell, um, for example, I don't know that I would particularly call them science fiction, but easily willing to call them speculative fiction. Right, right. 
Yeah. Har- Harlan Ellison was championing that, championing that particular term for a very long time, and, and I, I understand yeah. why. It's a more accurate term. The problem is uh, it hasn't uh, achieved uh, much traction in the real world, partly because it has too many syllables and people are lazy. But <laughs> it... It's still it's a it's it's a much more accurate term. I agree. Yeah, it doesn't have quite the flow to say spec fec or whatever fic. I guess <laughs> speculative spec fic yeah. is the way you say sci-fi. It just flows a little better, right? You can't shorten. Corey Ackerman was a genius when he came up with the term. Yeah, yeah. You, you say know, science fiction, you sound smarter or something. I don't right, know. Right. Well, I guess. I guess you know. And there's been there's been uh, there was wasn't there this whole argument around like in the seventies that sci-fi was just so unclassy or something like that. The term sci-fi itself. I, I don't recall that, but no, maybe I was reading. I, read uh, I would say, yeah. I, you know, in some oh, ways, yeah. I think yeah. and there's still a bit of a bias from. For lack of a better word, and I'll let some of my biases slip through, uh, from the artsy crowd or the elitist crowd. Well, you just think, I mean, as far as when movies go, what movies and TV shows get nominated for awards and everything. I mean, they might get they might get nominated or maybe even awarded for best music score or best makeup or something like that. But an actor who was performed in the, one of those works... Uh, his acting or her acting may be phenomenal, but um, how often does an actor or an actress get nominated for, for, for something like that in, you know, the the Oscars or the uh, the, uh, the Emmys? Whatever. John Noble still hasn't gotten his well, Emmy nomination. That is, that is for starting fans. to change. I mean, the yeah. Lord, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Lord, Lord of the Rings was a and, huge and, breakthrough the, with, what, the, 13? They had 13 nominations that one yeah. year? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so, and, and you're seeing more and more genre stuff actually get respect from the awards community, although honestly that that's probably the least important thing. Um, right. I, I think it's much more – I mean, yes, it's nice, but the, the the fact that you're seeing much more mainstream acceptance of it, it – the, the, the most popular movies that have come out over the last 10, 15 years have all been genre films. Oh, yeah. Uh, to some extent or other, you know, whether it's – I mean, most of them have been either fantasy or superhero rather than straight-up science fiction. But even so, you know, it's – that's that, that's what people are, are responding to. And that's what's – and you're seeing more of it on, on television as well. Well, you know, I, I do not experience any shortage of ridicule for being a sci-fi fan. It, it never fails. Uh, we'll be sitting around at the lunch table, uh, about six of us, and talking about football, that's fine. If I say Star Trek, if I say science fiction, if I say Fringe or anything, of course, everybody's eyes roll up in the top of their head. <laughs> oh, here we go again. <laughs> and it's like, well, why is my obsession uh, not on par with yours? Exactly. You guys sit... You start watching football on Thursday night. You don't finish till Monday night. Uh, what's the difference? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of elitist. It, it, it is, you know. And even even when we were podcasting here, my wife popped her head and said, "Nerds, geeks, and nerds." <laughs> when I was asking my son about uh, what is science fiction, so I mean, even even that is like a little <laughs> bit, a little bit of that. Uh, Raul, Raul, what were you going to say? Sorry. Actually, my I had a question for Keith there. Uh, some of the mention with some of the superhero uh, movies that unfortunately tend to get lumped in with science fiction. Have you seen those really have those had a negative impact on the perception of science fiction in general as a more legitimate form of literature? And in other words, I mean, 
uh, this this was one of my blog posts from a few weeks ago. Where has the good modern science fiction gone? And I don't mean I don't I don't mean uh, doing work in someone else's sandbox. Uh, though there's very obviously free, there's very much a place for it, and a lot of it's fun reading. But I mean, really deep original works that seems to be submerged behind all these superhero movies coming out. Oh, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not perceiving any problem there whatsoever. Um, first of all, I, I don't see why super. I mean, superhero fiction pretty much is science fiction almost by definition. Um, certainly, I mean, Superman is an alien who is who is living on Earth. You know, Batman is a guy who comes up with really cool gadgets. Uh, you know, Spider Man. And most honestly, most of Marvel superheroes were created by radiation because, well, it was 1962 and radiation was magic. <laughs> um, you know, but it's all, it's, it's, it's all that, that's what, that still qualifies as science fiction to my mind. It always has. Um, it's just a particular subgenre of it and it's popular now. So great. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, the, 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 I mean, from my perspective, I, I grew up reading comic books, and I love the fact that I'm now getting to see them being done on the big screen like that. Um, I'm especially thrilled that technology is basically caught up to the point where you can do it without it looking ridiculous, which is, I think, one of the one of the things that has helped uh, genre in TV and, and film lately is just the fact that the, the technology exists to make it possible. You couldn't have done a Lord of the Rings movie as good as well, but... It's really uh, good as what Peter Jackson did anytime really prior to the turn of the millennium. But I, I like I said, I don't, I don't see this as a, a, a problem at all. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I'll right. give you this. I'll give you this. Okay. Iron Man loaded with science. He could not possibly yep. invent that suit without science. Okay. Captain America as a result of science. Uh, the Hulk as a result of science spider-man as a result of science not thor thor is a mythological uh, hey, he's an alien character. from another dimension mm-hmm. yeah well that that alien plays in, yeah. that plays into raul's uh son's definition right in fact it's bringing mythology right. and science into the same one but i mean thor, thor isn't really any different from superman he's a strange being from another world who shows up on earth it just happens to be in a different dimension as opposed to a few solar systems away you know and and humans worshipped them as gods because well, any the technology is indistinguishable magic. We're back to that again, you know. Um, <laughs> right. The Vikings. And, and I understand. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I understand. I'm not disagreeing, yeah. but it's some of the feedback and response that I've been getting, and like, just from my own conversations. And I know you. You know, you're inside the industry writing. And I was just curious. I'm just was really curious what that perception on your on that end that you get regarding. I don't see it as a perceptual problem at all. The Avengers is the most popular movie on the planet last year, but yep. <laughs> obviously, the, the vast majority of the general public has is perfectly fine with it, which is really the. I mean, that's not the only yardstick that matters, but it's one that is certainly relevant, and um, you know. And the director not going to get award consideration. And the director is. Director is Joss Whedon, who is one you know, one fine writer too. So, oh, absolutely, his mm-hmm. script writing. Nice to see. Yeah, he's, he's he's not bad. 
He's okay. Yeah, he's okay. He's no Keith to Canada, but he's right, okay. right, right. I mean, come on, that goes without saying. Well, I mean. Yeah, but who is? <laughs> Though remember, as far as Whedon's concerned, yeah. Alien Resurrection. Oh yes, because he uh, wrote it, and got no credit for it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or minimum Absolutely. credit. Absolutely did. He's listed as the screenwriter. Oh, is he? That movie. He probably wishes he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And if uh, you watch Alien Resurrection, it's very obviously the first draft of Firefly, too. <laughs> See, now we'll have to go back and watch oh, it. Yeah. You're, you're right. You're, you're, you're abso- uh, I had uh, thought of I'm, that. You're absolutely right. It is. <laughs> Do you think perhaps that what we're talking about here that delineates science fiction from non uh, non-science fiction is the backdrop against which it's shown. I'll give you give you a couple of examples. Uh, the movie High Noon and Outland. Okay, roughly the same the same ideas, the same stories, with uh, Gary Cooper in Cowboy Days with no technology other than a Colt, and Outland with a whole mess of technology. Um, you know, the same idea. Another example of a couple of movies I'm thinking of is uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat and another movie that was uh, remade called Life Pod, which is Lifeboat set in a science fiction backdrop. I'm, I'm just wondering if maybe that isn't the direction we're kind of headed right now. So the backdrop is kind of what defines a little bit. Uh, Raul, mm-hmm. what do you think of that? So, or Keith, go I, ahead, Keith. Like Keith. Oh, I was just going to say that, that that's sort of what, what defines it anyway. I mean, science, like I said earlier, science fiction and fantasy are the only genres that are genres of setting. Every other genre um, relates to the plot. You know, a mystery is a mystery because of the plot. A horror, horror is horror because of the plot. Um, you know, thrillers, uh, romance, all of those um, are defined inherently by what the plot of, of the story is, uh, you know, magic realism for that matter. If you want to get into it, you know, but, um, but the science fiction and fantasy are defined by their setting. That's that's what makes something science fiction or fantasy is the setting it's in, and it's the only genre that's like that. So you know, I agree with Jim there that you know it's that's that's what makes it what it is 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 where it takes place as opposed to what kind of story it is. That's a conclusion I'm coming to, and uh, I think it's valid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's absolutely valid. I think it's on the mark. Yeah. Well, now, uh, Raul, you were kind of—I thought you were kind of uh, onto something here. Is there a, a a lack of of new, fresh, original, and insightful? Um, science fiction that's being put onto the market are, are is all we're getting these rehashed stories or redone stories that are somehow resonating or popular with us isn't were you kind of heading that way Raul actually when I was asking that question I was asking it not from a cynical perspective but from a really honest you know as a, as a really honest question uh, what brought it about was I got this wonderful little gift card for Books a Million. And looking through the science fiction section, I was able to find 
lots of lots of the old lots of old good material. I was able to find lots and lots of fantasy. I was able to find lots of you know what whatever the series happens to be extended uh, extended universes whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars or Dragonlance uh lots of children or juvenile uh science fiction um or a lot of fan- or fantasy but old fashioned more or less hard harder core science fiction that it's got the escapism, but it hits you and struggles with some of the tough questions, some of the serious questions. I really wasn't able to find much, so I figured, you know what, I'm going to hit that out as a blog post. Uh, I guess um, Weber's on or Harrington, but there hasn't been anything recent out in that for a while. And I, I really was looking, and it was more of the science fiction side that I was into that my itch to read had uh, been triggered rather than the fantasy side. You know, I, I'm wondering though, I think uh, I'm remembering a quote and I think it was Michael Crichton that said it, that man's imagination is reaching its outer limits and uh, reality is quickly catching up. I'm wondering if maybe the the quality of the stories, Raul, does, isn't directly proportional to our advancement in science. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think the other thing I, is that, that I have been hearing this same complaint that Raul just made for 20 years. <laughs> The entire, I mean, when I first started working in science fiction in the early 90s, I was hearing the same complaints. There's no real hard science fiction anymore. Nobody writes real hard science fiction. I want my hard science fiction back. And it's, it's, it's always been only one subset of the genre as a whole. And to my mind, it's an argument that only works if you exclude everything else. It's like, well, I, you know, I want this particular subgenre. Well, there's not as much of it, partly because it isn't as popular. It is there. You do, there it is findable. Um, or the soft science fiction. But it's not, no, I, all I said was okay. Was, <laughs> 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 what were you going to say? I, what I was going to say was, I, or even the, even the soft science fiction, this whole conversation and discussion, actually, you, you had mentioned Le Guin. It's like, ooh, that's an idea. I was never a big Earthsea fan, but I liked her Hainish novels. So I was like, okay, dig out, Left Hand of Darkness. Um, you know, that is definitely not hard science fiction. It's, it's yeah, it's alien, but it's dealing with the psychology and the emotional and some of the, the tougher questions. And by the way, if you really want a good discussion, a good essay on the meaning of or the definitions of science fiction, you've got to read her introduction. It, it's great. Uh, but it's yeah. It, it seems just to be harder to find truly original works rather than something that's derivative. Are you talking about um, in in literature, TV, movies, or all books? And literature. Sure, and what do you what do you mean by derivative exactly? Uh, the whole Star Wars expanded universe. Um, 
look at the this just massive uh, literature uh you know from the Dragonlance series uh all of the Star Trek stories that are well, out that there wouldn't, that wouldn't and the good it's good stuff i'm not i'm not saying it's not good stuff but it's not all there is and and, and i'm missing and i'm missing some of the and more but what if you don't want more what if you're happy with what you have? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'll tell you what, you know, when I read a Star Trek novel, when I'm reading about Picard, when I'm reading about Kirk, when I'm reading about Spock, I feel like I am getting a visit from some old friends. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Because I have been, I've, uh, I was 11 years old when Star Trek went off the air, uh, the original series. Um, I'll tell you what, you know, it, it, it is just so neat to look into what these guys are doing. Uh, I'll tell you what, just, just keep them coming. I'll keep them. I'll keep reading. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is something about visiting. uh, It's like visiting, uh, you know, old friends and families that you've built a relationship with through the series. And, you know, it's one of the reasons that when I pick up a book and I love it and I'm into a series that, I, I just want to read. I want to find out if it's if it continues to be decently written. I just want to find out more about what's going on in that series, whether it be the Star Wars expanded universe, whether it be Star Trek. Um, you know, I was just looking on my shelves here. I have I have the the Foundation trilogy, and then all these seventeen books that kind of tie into that in some way. Uh, maybe plus give or take a few, depending on who's authoring right. them. Um, you know, I'm looking at the Brooks series, and I just, you know, give me, give me some more, sh- you know, Shannara, because I don't care that he wrote the Landover series, even though it's the first book was okay, um, and some of the other series he wrote. But I you know this is the world I want, and so what is he writing in? He's writing in that universe for the most part. Mm-hmm. I understand. I'm not going to disagree, but oh, yeah. one spot, one, one, I mean, heck, I've. One of my favorite series uh, when I was younger, I've got about 100 Perry Roden novels in my library. Uh, but I, I, I refuse to accept uh, Jim's statement about our imagination being re- reaching its outer limit. I, I guess it's the, Vernian, uh, it's the Vernian in me, the optimist. Whatever we can imagine, whatever we can come up with, I, I just believe that the human imagination is able to exceed that, that we don't have any limits to our imagination. What we know now when we reach those outer limits just gives us a bigger platform to go forward and to reach for more. Hmm. That was Michael Crichton's quote, I should say. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, it, it, it is it is though something that at the very least is the sort of thing that might give writers pause when they consider you know getting starting their fiction is is the worry about technology you know speculating into the future and getting it wrong um, or technology catching up you know coming up with something really futuristic and then having reality passing by I mean you know you watch Star Trek the Next Generation right now and they're all passing iPads around you know? right. <laughs> Um, yeah, and and that's supposed to be four hundred years in the future. You know, it's 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 tough sometimes. Yeah. True, you know, but how, 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 I mean, honest, honestly, the, the the technology we see on the USS Enterprise in the original Star Trek from the sixties, get rid of the transporter and the warp drive, and your average office building in Manhattan is more technologically advanced than the Enterprise is. Yeah. And right. actually, they're doing legitimate research on warp drive and transporters. 
Right. Well, have any of you watched uh, Continuum? Um, what yeah, I, I've seen a couple of episodes. I, I, I still have to catch up to it. But. Have they finished the first season uh, here in the States yet? Last yeah. night. Yeah. Last night? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I, you know, I'll be able to write about it finally. Yeah. <laughs> what I like about that show, I mean, yeah, they, they do time travel, which has been done many times before. But what I like is some of Kira's gadgets that she has. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that, that suit. the suit, I mean, so it looks like somebody took their imagination and kind of extended it to see where it would go as far as, well, where else could we possibly be in 65 years from now? All right. Um, we don't have flying cars or, you know, faster and light spaceships, but, uh, I mean, things with computers, I mean, what, where, where, where can that possibly go? And, I mean, this this outfit she has, well, not, not just her outfit, which is cool what it does, but... The implants, too. The imp, but Yeah, the implants, basically, that that help her, you know, aim, aim, you know, aim, aim her gun or um, she can access information. I mean, we can't do it now, but it's not, you know, and maybe not be out of the realm of possibility in 60-some in years. Has anybody here read uh, The Physics of the Future by Michio Kaku? And I have have not. I'm not. I, no, I've, I would, I've seen I've seen Otaku uh, talk a few times, and he's a wonderful speaker. But I haven't. Oh, I'd read the book because I'll tell you what: in a hundred years, we're going to have replicators. We're going to have medical scanners. We're going to have uh, wallpaper for uh, that does our television for us. Some really incredible stuff, and these are the things that are coming. Um, oh, believe me, we've got, uh, as, as far as the medical scanners, I can speak firsthand. We've got a lot more capability and technology than e- even even uh, next generation. You mentioned Star Trek and the current, you know, the typical office building, even more technologically advanced. Um, I mean, I wasn't joking earlier when I said stopping hearts to see if I could start them again. I'm, it's designing defibrillators that can monitor yeah, the heart control determine you. if you need a shock and filter out all the muscle noise and movement is this person really trying to die no and no, bringing no, them no. back I mean that's hey I got a, things like that are reality I got a secret for you I have one in my chest <laughs> <laughs> feels like a mule when it goes off though uh, not too much. <laughs> not, okay, uh, the the originals were had some pretty hefty bump. Oh yeah, I'll bet. I don't know. I'm excited about the wallpaper. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, but it kind of bums me out because we just tore all the wallpaper out of this house and painted the walls. I mean, now we got to put wallpaper back up. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> All right, let's bring this. Let's bring this kind of back. So, uh, as far as it sounds like, what we've kind of come as we've kind of dialogued here, we've kind of come to the consensus that anything. Most of us agree that seem to agree that speculative fiction is probably a term that is kind of the overarching term. But most of us seem okay with science fiction being defined as almost anything that <laughs> is. I don't know, not grounded in some reality. I don't know. Uh, did we come to kind of consensus for that? Sort of the I know it when I see it uh, yeah. that you mentioned? Or, right. 
or Keith's uh, description of, at, at the minimum, a single change. As I've said, I don't know, here or elsewhere, but it's, you know, it's a moving target. Right. Where you draw, wherever you draw a line, it's going to be erased in a few years. Right. I think I heard somebody say once, I don't know what it is, but I sure know what I like. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's probably, probably, probably not too bad. And I think, uh, I think there's probably, uh, what we've kind of dialogued is there's a, there's a lot of different facets to science fiction and what classifies science fiction. And it's, it's hard to necessarily come down on one side or the other uh, as far as what exactly defines it. I guess one of the arguments, one of the things that kind of got this talking was, is Star Wars a science fiction? And um, maybe we should just quickly answer that. And then uh, I do have some listener feedback to kind of play a little bit. So anyone want to comment? So uh, for you, Miles, is Star Wars science fiction? It's definitely science fiction with, you know... Definitely, definitely a mixture of fantasy in it. Right. Is it as deep as other science fiction genres? Probably not, but still very enjoyable escapist. Um, very enjoyable part of my childhood. I've enjoyed, you know, I mean, George George Lucas got a lot of money from my family for buying all the Star Trek toys that yeah. I, I got when I was a little kid. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jim, how about for you? Star Wars is that uh, relegated to science fiction for you? Yeah, I think I think it is. Uh, by at least one of the definitions that we came to is the backdrop that it's set against. Right. No, I would I would tend to uh, at least agree with that. Raúl, how about for you? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, and again, I guess whether we qualify it as uh, going back to one of the things we talked about earlier, Raúl, whether we classify it as good so good sci-fi. Depends a little bit on how you define sci-fi. I mean, it's, is it good technological sci-fi? Well, maybe not, but but at least it's somewhat good sci-fi. At least in you know, I'll I'll really throw a bomb out right now. I'll, I'll toss another bomb for for your listeners. Um, <laughs> while I may not consider, well, while I might consider episode four, which for most, many of us here in the virtual room. Uh, would consider the fir- the first Star Wars movie. While I might not call it good science fiction, though I will call it probably one of the most important. Um, I would probably go and pull a one eighty and say, "Empire Strikes Back." Now that's good science fiction, and a lot of it because is because the it hits you with a lot of the inner struggles. It pulls you into some. Uh, some of the big questions. Mm. And uh, questions that, that certainly aren't resolved by the end of that episode. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Keith, how about for you? I, I, it's totally science fiction. Science may suck, but it's, it's, and it has a lot of fantasy trappings, but it, 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 it passes pretty, pretty much every possible test as to what makes it science fiction. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Miles? It's, got, it's got all the basics of 
spaceships and aliens and robots. Mm-hmm. And if you've got those three things, then you're almost definitely <laughs> saying Yeah, yeah. You have to be. You have mm-hmm. to be. Uh, did you answer the question, Miles, yet? I did. Yes. Okay, very good. And uh, and I think it obviously is science fiction. I would put in that. Well, let's hear from some listeners. Uh, Raduz uh, from Canada, Vancouver, Canada, uh, called in. And let's hear what he had to say. And maybe we could just sort of a comment and respond then. You guys should be able to hear this. Hello, this is Raduz from North Vancouver, BC, Canada. And just wanted to chime in with my two cents into the science fiction fantasy genre discussion. Personally, I have my own way of making the distinction between the two genres. Um, if there is lots of technology involved in the story, I call it science fiction. If there is lots of spirituality and or magic, I call it a fantasy. If there is an equal balance of the two, I call it science fiction fantasy. So this seems to work for me pretty well. For example, Star Trek, that's clearly a science fiction to me. There's lots and lots of technology. And there is some spirituality as well, but it's not the primary vessel for the story. So it's a science fiction for me. Then there is movie series like Harry Potter or Chronicles of Narnia. There's lots of magic and spirituality. So to me, it's a fantasy. And then there is Star Wars. And for example, the Avatar movie. There's lots and lots of technology and lots and lots of spirituality and or magic-like powers. So, why not just call it science fiction fantasy? This seems to work for me. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. So, uh, what do you think of uh, Radu's, uh definition for him of science fiction fantasy, Miles? I think he and I are a lot of agreement. Yeah, yeah. Jim, uh, Raul, uh, Keith, any comments? Well, I can't. I can't argue with it. Yeah. I can't argue with it, and I would also say it. His his definition highlights something I think that's important: is there's a very subjective element to this. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, we can come on, and you can we we could probably pull people on the street and get probably just as many definitions as what sci-fi, what is sci-fi, and what isn't sci-fi to each individual person. It would come out slightly different. Ask five people, get seven answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith, any thoughts on what Radu said? Um, I could argue with it, but it wouldn't be a very convincing argument. I, uh, uh, yeah, it, and that pretty much boils down to the same as Damon. His argument is more or less the same as Damon Knight's. He just uh, took longer to say it. <laughs> very good, very good. All right, we uh, th- thanks Radu for calling in and giving us your thoughts. Jen from New York, we're going to play her. She's a longtime listener. She's going to talk a little bit about... Star Wars, Star Trek, and I think somewhere in here she's kind of playing with this whole idea of uh, science fiction and what it what it means. Hi guys, this is Jen from New York. Just calling in. I just want to call in about the uh, you know the whole Star Trek, Star Wars conversation we got going on here. And you know, I've always like wondered that myself too. Like, you know, I always felt like Star Wars was more like you know science science fiction soap opera, you know, sci-fi fantasy, whatever. Because I feel like it had more drama, you know, the whole, you know, the whole thing with Luke finding out that Darth Vader's his father, you know, that whole scene. And, uh, you know, and Star Trek was more science fact to me. Because really, in like reality, I find that uh, more people trying to invent things from the show. I mean, since like ever since like we got like the communicators, like the flip phones, you know, cell phones. 
Uh, we've got iPads now, and people are actually trying to invent the uh, tractor beam. You know, so stuff like that, I feel like, you know, has come from that show. And, uh, you know, so there are other things that I even tried to look up on Wikipedia to try to see, like, you know, what else, like, fell into the, those categories. But, like, to me, I always felt like, you know, sliders was also, like, one of those things that, you know, it was more like a scientific theory where they had, you know, the idea, the theory, and then once they did it on the show, then that became, like, science, you know, sci-fi fantasy. You know, so all kinds of things come together in that way. Um, and as for, like, the whole J.K. Abrams thing, as much as I'd like to hate the guy right now, but, you know, it's kind of hard to hate him right now. Because, like you said, he he's come up with so many good, like, TV shows and movies that we all love. You know, and so it's like, and especially since, you know, because it's funny, because at first, when he first came out with the first uh, Star Trek reboot movie, I was kind of like, before I saw it, I was like, how could he do that, you know, without the original actors and, you know, have new, younger people playing the original characters? And I'm like, it's just like, I couldn't, I couldn't picture it in my head what it would be like. But after I saw it, I, I fell in love with it. I was like, I thought he did a really good job in bringing it all back. And now that he's done this, it's like jumping ship. Dude, he's gonna do Star Wars. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what is he doing? And it's like, it's like crossing the streams. You can't do that. It's like when I go to a Chinese restaurant and tell my mother, I'm like, you can't, like, mix the hot and sour sauce with the sweet and sour. I'm like, it's just not done. It's like crossing the streams. But, uh, seriously. Um, but now, I mean, you know, like I said, but it, it's bringing back all the Star Wars talk again. And I, I'm kind of hoping that they do these movies that are, like, you know, in the, like, the future with Han and Leia's kids and all from the book series, even though I didn't read all the books and all. But like my, my brothers have read them all, but uh, and I may go back and read like some of the ones like from starting from like Last Command. I may go back to reading, you know, because I think that's when like the kids were like babies. But uh, you know, that's what I would like to to see happen, you know, because I'm getting kind of tired of all the prequels and yada yada stuff like that. But uh, you know, but that's just me. I mean, like I said, I mean, I grew up with the originals. Like I, I hate that they call them four, five, and six. Those are mine. You know, it's like, what can we do? But the, like you said, I mean, and I hope that they get, like, you know, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford all in it, you know. And, it, and it's so funny. When I first heard this and I was thinking that, I, all I kept thinking in my head was, like, Back to the Future with Doc Brown saying, Hon, you've got to do something about your kids, Marty. Something's got to be done about your kids. <laughs> and so I kept thinking. But the, like, I agree with Colin. It's like all in fun. Whatever you enjoy is what it is, you know? But the... So what do you think of the term? She kind of shared the term of uh, science fiction versus science fact. She views science... Um, she views Star Wars as being kind of science fiction, but Star Trek as being kind of science fact because people have been trying to invent and have been inventing stuff that has been on Star Trek. I think Star Trek probably... The term speculative fiction maybe really applies with Star Trek as far as, I mean, Star Trek does try to speculate as far as what the future will be like, what we'll have. Star Wars, uh, like what she said, well, there's some kind of soap opera elements as far as Luke finding out that uh, Darth Vader is his father. Sorry, spoilers, people. (laughs) Right, right, if you didn't watch it by now. (laughs) Yeah, but... um, 
but yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. There's, there's definitely, Star Trek would probably you know it could be definitely called speculative fiction of the the, the technological advancements that have it's inspired, inspired. Yeah, yeah I, won't, I don't know. If, well, I don't know if I quite go science fact because there's still lots of things they've speculated that we don't have and that probably we won't have because it's just it's technological. It's just not possible. Right. But. But there are things that we do have now that have now exceeded what Star Trek thought yeah. was 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 going to be impossible. They said breaking the sound barrier was impossible too. So you know, right, <laughs> right, right. Um, so don't say impossible. I, I, I like I, I don't know that I I like the the terminology she used necessarily, but but I I, I like the that distinction that that Star Trek is something that has actually it, it's science fiction that has actually inspired science. I mean. Seventy-five percent of the people currently in NASA are in NASA because they grew up watching Star Trek. Right. Um, I don't think any of them are there because they grew up watching Star Wars. And if they are, they're not talking about it. You know, right. that, that's not what you hear about. Right. Um, so that that is an interesting distinction. Although I, I suspect somebody, we would be all very happy if somebody invented a lights, lightsaber. Right. Right. <laughs> but I don't know if anybody actually working on it. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't remember who said it, uh, but. There was, there was an old adage, today's science fiction is tomorrow's science fact. Right. I remember that? Yes. You're not, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know who said it either. Um, uh, I love the fact she mentioned sliders. I haven't thought about sliders in a long time. Mm-hmm. But talk yeah. about it. You know, the concept, the, the concept being originally grounded in science fiction, but really taking on more of a once a worm horror wormholes developed and they're jumping from parallel universe to parallel universe mm-hmm. uh, it really becomes it really steps outside of science fiction becomes more focused on the different societies they encounter and isn't focused as much in the science I guess. yeah it focuses on what that would be speculative but what, what would the world be like if yeah. if, if things happen this way or that way that sort of yeah. thing yeah. Mm-hmm. a lot like quantum leap well, it was based yeah it was based on a on a, a legitimate scientific theory, and and it's it's one that's been fodder for uh, science fiction for a long time. And also, history is a fairly healthy subgenre. Right, right. Um, what do you think about her thought? She she made the comment that uh, she really wants to see the old actors back in our new Star Wars movies. We're going to be getting out by Disney. I mean, how do you feel about seeing you know, old Han, old Luke, old Princess Leia all all coming back? If uh, the reports are accurate, I think she's going to get her wish. Some of the stuff that I'm hearing, it sounds like we're going to get Lucas's, not absolutely original, but I guess um, shortly after, the old idea of the trilogy of trilogies. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, are they going to be going, have you heard uh, anything about them going to the Thrawn trilogy, which I think was kind of the... Always hailed as book as you know movie seven, eight, and nine. At least it's been discussed. I know in the gosh, I and you and I have talked about, or at least corresponded about this before. Uh, the original idea of the trilogy of trilogies was the third trilogy was supposed to be reconstruction some forty years or so after the uh, after the fall of the empire. And I can't remember what it was either Starlog or Omni that I had that I had read about that planet. But th- there was a report. At, in fact, I was just hearing something about it 
today or yesterday that apparently Lucas had said something about having gotten the old actors back, but then backing off from what he had said that, well, okay, talks are in progress. Right. Uh, I, actually, I was hoping you might, I was going to ask you about this at some point as if you'd, to see if you had heard any more detail. No. Keith, did you hear anything? Oh, God, no. I, yeah. I, have, I have no connections in that regard whatsoever, yeah. but it would be... Um, I, I think it would be cool, and I would, I would prefer it if the new movies actually moved forward. Um, one, one of the issues I've had with the last uh, uh, 13 years of Star Trek is that it's all been looking backward rather than forward. Um, but... Uh, and and I think I think you know if we if they are going to continue past Return of the Jedi, then yeah, it would be good to have the older versions of, of those characters, um, and you know catch up with them and what they're doing. Right. Uh, as yeah, because they were important parts. I mean, obviously they wouldn't be the main characters probably, right. but um, but I think that's that's a much better approach to take than what they've been doing with Star Trek. Yeah. Not that not that I mean certainly what Abrams has been doing with Star Trek has worked and and. Uh, in terms of getting people interested in Star Trek again, which they weren't after 10 years of Nemesis, Voyager, and Enterprise. But, um, and, and, and I agree with what um, the, the listener said about um, that, that it was a tough call dealing with not having the actors, although that, that actually worked. But um, I think it would be great to have at least some of the original cast in there, you know, they can actually age gracefully and, and be in it at the age they are now if they jump that far ahead, which is, to my mind, there's all sorts of storytelling possibilities there because, you know, Return of the Jedi ended with the Empire being overthrown. That's the, to my mind, that's the beginning of the story, not the end of it. Right, right. Yep. Absolutely. There's, you know, then what happens? Now, now, now you've overthrown the government. Something's got to take its place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim, any thoughts on this? Uh no, not really. Um, I do want to say to Jen that I uh, I can't throw any hate at J.J. Abrams for uh, improving his um, his situation by by jumping to Star Wars. I mean, anybody that can improve themselves, um, hey, you know, more power to them. Uh, who of us would not want a nice big fat raise from Disney Pictures? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh... No, just, doubt, no doubt there. Also, I don't think I don't think he's abandoning Star Trek either. There's no, no indication that he's he's not he's given that up. Yeah, he's basically got the geek exacta there. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we have what we have another we have one, we have uh, another listener voicemail. Yeah, we're going to play, and let me go ahead and just fire that up here. Hi, Scott and Miles. This is Rachel from just east of you in Philadelphia. Hello. Sorry, I have a bit of a cold. I'm calling in regarding the discussion that you're going to have over whether or not Star Wars is actually science fiction. And I, uh, many years ago, I actually got a teaching company lecture by Professor Eric Radkin. It's, it's not for sale anymore. I guess it's out of print. And it was called Science Fiction. The Literature of the Technological Imagination. And Lecture 1 by this Professor Eric Radkin of the University of Michigan actually defined science fiction. He gave two sets of definitions. The first set of, the first definition of science fiction was that you were to take the world as you know it, and you make one fantastic assumption, like 
on travel. And then you extrapolate everything else as if that were the only change. So you build your world, your model, with the only change being that one fantastic assumption. An example, this is supposedly what they call the purest definition of science fiction. And he said that no science fiction novel has ever followed this definition. Once you make one fantastic change, it becomes difficult not to alter other things to help it is more plausible. Instead, he defines science fiction using these three related defining characteristics. Characteristic one is the fantastic made plausible. Thanks, time travel, mind reading. The second one is high adventure. He actually used, I swear to God, the exact words, boy saves universe. And then the third characteristic is intellectual excitement. In other words, the novel needs to ask us to, it has to ask us to think about something. That's what science fiction does. And it has to have those three characteristics, right? There's tons of high adventure books out there. There are a lot of books that are intellectually exciting that may or may not even be nonfiction. And then there are books where the fantastic is made plausible. I think of a paranormal romance. But it might not have intellectual excitement for adventure. So those are the three related defining characteristics. Based on these three characteristics, do you think Star Wars is considered science fiction? He also uh, uh, said that uh, the first novel that is considered to be science fiction is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I couldn't think of anything older that we would consider science fiction. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was published in 1818. Do you know of any? that were published prior to 1818 consider science fiction. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. All right. Thank you, Rachel, for calling in. And, boy, she gave us some heavy stuff to think about, huh? Yeah, I uh, think she <laughs> maybe just expand, I mean, expanded a little on what Keith had said, what, 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 how Keith defined science fiction. I thought she just kind of took in the same idea, just expanded it some. Yeah. Now she did. Uh, let's start at the end of her uh, voicemail just a little bit. Is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein the earliest form of science fiction that we have? Uh, Keith, what do you think? Uh, there's certainly an argument for it, and I've always been. It, it's one of my favorite novels, so I've always kind of gone with that argument. And it's certainly um, the first example of modern science fiction as as we think of it now. Uh, it does. It does take uh, quite a bit of, of quite a number of, of scientific principles at the time, including uh, ones related to electricity and galvanism, uh, and makes use of them to posit a particular interesting story. Uh, there are fantastical elements in it as well, but I, in, in terms of straight up science fiction, yeah, I mean, prior, it, it, there's not a lot of examples prior to that because there wasn't there wasn't as much science. Right, right. <laughs> you know, almost by definition, uh, hard science fiction of, of any sort uh, couldn't really probably happen prior to the Enlightenment. Um, and there's a lot of of Enlightenment era thoughts and and that went into. Uh, uh, Keith, you kind of uh, faded out there. Are you still there? 
Oh, yeah, I'm still here. Okay, yeah, you just got faded out at the end. I just want to make sure that uh, you weren't speaking and we weren't hearing you. So, um, oh, no, okay, okay, all right. Um, uh, that was probably just the connection went wonky. Okay, yeah, okay, uh, Raul or Jim, any comment commentary on uh, Mary Shell's Frankenstein before we jump into some of the other things she said? I'd agree with everything that Keith just said and for the reasons that he said them. Yeah, yeah, um. Well, uh, let's get it. She, she kind of listed, uh, I never heard of this professor, I guess, out of Michigan, which she kind of referred to. Um, but he came up with these three principles of this is the, a science fiction, to be true science fiction, has to have these. And uh, so number one was a fantastical made plausible. Number two is high adventure, or a.k.a. boy saves the universe. Or three, the intellectual excitement. How do we feel about these three guiding principles to define something as being science fiction or not science fiction? Jim, can we start with you? Yeah, it sounds sounds fine to me. I uh, especially the imagination part. It's it's got to be stimulating to the imagination. Hmm. All right, and uh, Miles, how about you? Uh, yeah, I I think I mean. Definitely the stimulating the imagining, imagination. I'm just thinking the boy saves world. I'm just thinking of whatever book or TV show or, or, or movie I see. Is is there boy, girls, somebody trying to, to save the world in some way? And that that element is definitely explored in probably most sci-fi genres. Oh, yeah, at least mm-hmm. in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Raul, how about you? What do you think of these three things? Uh, I'm going to not take them in the order necessarily that she uh, has them listed. As far as the intellectual excitement, uh, that into, that that there was the piece. That's a good way of describing what I was looking for in some of the modern science fiction. Uh, the fantastical made plausible. I don't know that I would agree 100%. But I can't think off the top of my head. I mean, the the whole idea of a novel is you're taking a fiction, something made up, something that is essentially a lie, and you're making it plausible. You're 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 creating a world, a place where the reader can suspend their belief, hopefully, and engage with the play of thoughts and the play of words that the author is is making and that's just part of the beautiful magic of storytelling as far as the high adventure boy saves universe uh, rendezvous with rama i don't think anyone's going to argue that that's science whether or not that that's science fiction 2001 uh you know arthur c clark's famous for the number of questions that he raises without answering in, in some of his stories. I mean, rendezvous with Rama. The ship comes in. We look. We scratch our heads. The ship flies out. Right. There's no universe saving here. Right. But there is, at the same time, in those, there is an adventure. Just maybe not this boy saves the world type of adventure. Because they're exploring. Least- they're exploring. It's like, what's going to happen next? You know, where are they going? You know, what is this thing that's out here that we're going to investigate out near Jupiter? Right. Yeah, it's the, it's well, even two thousand one calling two thousand one adventure in the classic sense, especially as it's 
being phrased here, high concept, you know, she's nice, but she's not using the phrase high concept action, but the, the, I just kind of got that implied. From right. Her, right. I saying. agree. Uh, high adventure, 2001. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but there was how the villain, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Keith, how about you? What, what do you think about what she's saying here? Um, it's not bad. I just it, the the definitions feel a little too specific, and, I, and it's too easy to come up with exceptions. Right. Um, to all of them. I mean, those are good. Those are good guidelines. Certainly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily call them definitions. I like the first one better, and not just because it so closely matches what I came up with. Oh uh, yeah. Um, although that that certainly helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, no, now, no. now I can get accused of ripping off some professor in Michigan from thirty years ago. Right. Um. But uh, it's it's. It's not a bad group of guidelines for for what makes science fiction. Right? Oh, certainly. Like I said, I, I'd call it more that than a definition. Right, right. And you know, I did think of I had to think of you when you said that one change, but make that a fantastic change and focus in on that change. Sounded very much earlier what we kind of started out the show with, which was what is science fiction? Here's Keith's definition again, maybe in a different way here, but. but. Very good. She did say that she has an MP3 copy of this lecture somewhere, so I'm going to see if I can get a hold of that and share that with some of you guys, maybe. Um, we had one other piece of feedback, and I think this came actually from one of your followers, Keith, and this is Ken from Chicago. This came through as a tweet that I kind of pieced together. And he said, the problem with distinctions between traditional fantasy and sci-fi, these lines are arbitrary. Most have a recipe list for sci-fi versus fantasy. If the items from list A or B are there, then the story equals A slash B. Let the items differ only by labels, magic, uh, what, sonics, uh, monster, mutant, magic, alien, artifact, etc., a uh, better option is to label them speculative fiction, which is kind of what we said, fiction where a significant scientific event is true, thus concludes finally my rehashing one of my decade-long debates on science fiction and fantasy on the Usenet. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, he kind of, you know, just rehashes saying that, you know, it's speculative fiction, which is kind of what we came down to, that it's just maybe a better label than anything that we've been ta- dialoguing here about. But uh, any thoughts on what Ken said? Crickets. <laughs> no, no, it, no. It, it, it's no. it's consistent. It's consistent with a lot of what's been said. I think yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, in some areas of the, there's the moving target, and he also points out the spec fic uh, concept that we yeah. more or less arrived at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I believe that that pretty well concludes this conversation. I think we kind of. Uh, discussed is uh, pretty thoroughly. Any other last things you want to say about the topic of science fiction? What defines there anything before we head out here? In closing comments or anything? There would seem to be a very individual um, area. Person, a person kind of has to decide for themselves yeah. within certain guidelines. Yeah. Yeah. We agree that it has to be fiction. that helps right that's right i don't know what but i know what i like yeah yeah that goes back to like uh we know when we see it which is kind of what jim said right yeah Um, and crack open a book and work on the answer for yourself yeah exactly you know we we can discuss it you know we want but ultimately it comes down to what what defines it i guess for you 
Right. Well, I really appreciate each one of you taking some time out of your schedule to dialogue about this topic that has been discussed before, but, you know, gives us maybe it allows us to have a voice in this discussion. And I kind of like that. Let's just uh, go around as we kind of sign off here. I want to give people a chance to plug where people could find out more about you guys and what you're doing and what you're up to. And uh, Raul, why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about where people can find you on the web and where they can follow your rantings and ravings about science fiction and, <laughs> and TV shows. Well, you can find me at thechristiangeek.net. And it'll work whether or not you have the www in front of it or not. That is the christiangeek.net, all one word. And you can email me at Raul, R A U L, the Spanish spelling, R A U L at the christiangeek.net. Or feel free to Twitter me at uh, Raul Ybera. Especially if you're following him, if you're huge fans of Once Upon a Time, he does a lot. You do a lot of blogging regarding that, if I'm correct. I've that's been most of my blogging lately. I've had a bit of a crazy last uh, couple months, and the blog's only been up a few months, so I haven't been able to put out some of the articles that I've been wanting. Uh, my fringe analysis, uh, at least from some of the second half of the season uh, five, are still up as well, yeah. and. Some of the things that I've done with you yeah. are for you. Yeah, very good. Very good. We've enjoyed receiving them. In fact, uh, at the end of this episode, we're going to throw in your top five fringe moments. So <laughs> you can expect to hear those finally. So, uh, Jim, how about you? Uh, where can people find out more about what's going on in Jim's world and to read more about the things that you're ranting about? Okay. Uh, it's jimsciblog.com. And uh, I write about. Uh, science fiction, science fact, whatever I can think of. But uh, same as uh, Raul, there I don't, I haven't posted anything for a while. Real life has been in the way of that. So uh, I'm also on Twitter, Jim Arrowwood Two, and uh, you can find me on Facebook also. And before I cut loose, I want to tell Keith uh, Kapla with your test for second degree black belt. Oh, well, thank you. Well, very good. Cool. Very good. And uh, and Keith, how about you? Where can the people find you and especially find uh, some of the things that you're writing and uh, where they can maybe purchase them? Uh, well, if you go to decandido.net, that's sort of a link dump for, for all the ways of, of uh, properly cyberstalking me. Um, there are links yes. there to there's ordering links for, for my most recent uh, fiction on there. Uh, currently, what's up there is the, the leverage novel. Uh, the Precinct Novels, SCPD, uh, the Farscape Comics, uh, the baseball book I mentioned earlier, and uh, V Wars, the anthology I was in with uh, Jonathan Mayberry, and um, uh, as well as uh, some of the other stuff I'm doing right now. The Decendido.net also has links to my blog, uh, my Facebook page, my Twitter feed. Uh, the various podcasts I'm involved with, including the Chronic Rift, the Parsec Award-winning HD World. Like I said, I got to follow that. Now. Yeah. Uh, Dead Kitchen Radio, which is my own monthly podcast about where I talk about myself, and um, uh, as well as the band I'm in, the Boogie Nights, um, links to the organizations I'm involved with, including the International Association of Media Tie-In Writers and the Liars Club, which is a all of uh, writers in the uh, on the here on the East Coast, and all that stuff is, is you can get from decandido.net, or you can also order my books online very easily. At Amazon.com, at BN.com, at um, uh, IndieBound, 
com if you want to support your local independent bookstore and uh, and sell them. So what you're saying, Keith, is that you are not busy at all. Uh, no. no. <laughs> as, as we recorded this, it is the day before I start my, uh, as Jim mentioned, I'm starting the uh, four-day process of uh, acquiring my second-degree black belt. By the time the podcast goes live, I hopefully will have it. <laughs> That's right. Well, good good luck to that, and we do wish you the best in that endeavor. And uh, what he's really saying is that when you meet him at a con, don't mess with him. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, very good. And uh, you, uh, you're always, are, it seems like you're at a con almost every weekend. Do you have a lot of uh, good, uh, you said Balticon. Do you have a lot of other cons coming up? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not sure when this is going live, but um, uh, on April 7th, I'm going to be in Poughkeepsie at Rockon Hudson Valley. Uh, on April 19th, 20th, and 21st, I'm going to be down in Atlanta for the Trek Tracks convention. Um, and then the next one we do after that is, is yeah, Balticon over Memorial Day weekend where I, you guys be there too? Or? Uh, I am in current negotiations to be down there at least for a day or two. I'm running a marathon Excellent. that Sunday, so I have to kind of <laughs> negotiate that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, and that, that's always a good, uh, podcasting. Uh, oh yeah, it is definitely, definitely. Um, and then in, uh, June, I'm going to be up in Maine. For Port Con, Maine in July, I'm going to be in Omaha for Ozfest. So will uh, I. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, good to meet you finally. Yes. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> and uh, uh, August, I'll be at Shoreleave, as always. Right. Cool. And uh, I'm planning to be at Dragon Con as well. Yep. Very good. Very good. Awesome. And, uh, well, we really appreciate oh. each one of you. For did you have some other place you're going to be? No, I was going to mention I'm looking into the possibility of being doing a bookstore appearance in Key West, Florida, uh, at the end of August. When my, I have a short, I have a collection of short stories uh, called Ragnarok and Roll, which are urban fantasy stories taking place in Key West. So I'm looking the week before Dragon Con to, to doing an appearance down there. Oh, well, very the cool. The planning stages, though. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us in this podcast tonight. As we talked about what is science fiction and. Uh, and uh, kind of uh, discuss all aspects of it and appreciate you guys taking time out of your schedule to come join us tonight. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. We hope you enjoyed this almost two-hour-long conversation that we had about what is science fiction. And uh, believe it or not, we found it pretty much impossible to get a, get rid of Raul. He's continued to stick around the studio. So, hi, Raul. Can, welcome to the podcast hi, again. I'm in fungus mode, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But we actually have him around because he originally... I bet you sent in this in about a month and a half ago, and we're just now getting to the top five fringe moments, I guess, when you look at the entire series. Is that You right? actually asked for this last year, and I asked if I could wait until the series was over 
because we didn't know what was going to happen. Right, right. And uh, and lo and behold, the series is over. And now we're about two months, looking at almost two months since the series uh, has been off the air. I can't believe it's been that long. It seems like. But you did finally send in your top five moments. And so uh, why don't you kind of walk us through some of these moments and Miles and I will jump in and give some commentary as we feel is needed. That's great. Now, first of all, I can't call them moments oh, because yeah. some of these are very obviously not a moment. So the best way to describe them are the five most outstanding things about Fringe for me. And in reverse order, number five is season five. All of it, season five. Two reasons. One, that it even happened at all. And two, that a series be allowed so much time for a real denouement is just incredibly rare. And in my opinion, Fringe pulled it off very successfully. Mm. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I love the way the final season, the fact that we were able to wrap up the story. And uh, we did have the conversation at mm-hmm. Farpoint about uh, there may have been a few things people would have liked to see. But I think most people, the consensus was we're very satisfied with the ending. You, know, yeah, you should never get every question answered. Always leave him wanting more. Oh, yeah, very true. And hence we have uh, September's uh, notebook. But hmm. <laughs> uh, go ahead, number four. Okay, the number four spot's a tie. Uh, the choices don't outrank my higher spots, but neither of them really bump number five off the list. And the first one is when Newton restores Walter's missing brain pieces in the season two episode, Gray Matters. The Walter we see there, it's the defining moment for Walter. And we see the 1970s Walter, we see Walter in it, we see the 2036 Walter, all rolled into one at that point. It's the first time we see the full Walter. The other is the season four episode, a short story about love. And that's where Olivia makes the choice between which Olivia she is going to be. Not only is this a very unique character development, but it's also a clear message that both timelines happen and both are relevant. And I would just add that in each of these cases, and there's, there's some elements of choice, the ideas of personal choice come into play. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a lot of fringe. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's a good point. Any thoughts on that, Miles? Yeah, I like what you had I mean, say about Walter. I mean, I, I think Walter was probably definitely the most interesting character on the whole show. Um, watching him see... Season one, this 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 brilliant but very damaged man at the, uh, the mental hospital, and and finally seeing you know at season five, basically his faculties restored to him, and you know balancing his um, you know his, his his brilliance with his humanity. Yeah, I was gonna say brilliance with empathy, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, Number three. Number three, the episode Peter. Now, of all the fringe episodes, this is the only episode that is actually difficult for me to watch. And speaking as a father, this one just cuts my heart out. How many dads listening would not take Walter's path if they had that ability in his situation? Fatherhood's an important theme in fringe. And it's great to see that emphasis on it. And this episode, for me, is the key one in establishing that. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And even that 
I mean, throughout, it's really, in, in one way, the story is about Walter and Peter. Mm-hmm. And about, yes. the relation, about the relationship, the good, the bad, and Peter kind of coming to terms with his father. Or, um, I mean, one of the whole things we wait for is the fact that he says, I love you, Dad. You know, that's, you know, kind of wait for that whole, and near the end of the season five, it, it, it happens. I mean, he, it happens once before that, but. Well, most of the, most of the show, he's calling him Walter. Right. Uh, so, Dad. so that was, you, def, you definitely knew that was a profound moment there. Yeah. And number two? Number two, White Tulip. Not just the episode, but the symbol as well. When you, well. Okay, Walter's conversation with Alistair Peck, yes, that alone would be justification for the list, but the show just went so much further. It comes back several times over the course of the show, and the White Tulip's appearance as the concluding moment of the series, it's got to be one of the best endings I've seen in television. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Another theme is almost Walter looking for redemption throughout Mm -hmm. the whole series, Um, and seeking forgiveness for yeah. you know what and that's what the tulip represents mm-hmm. right. Yeah. right it's hanging behind you miles i have it on the wall i, I know yeah <laughs> there is one hanging on the wall literally uh go 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 ahead uh Ro, and number one for you number one the world trade center the concluding moments of season one that pullback revealing the twin towers in season one literally that is one of the most oh my God, moments I have ever seen in television. I mean, few writers would dare take a chance to go that route, particularly, you know, go back the five, six years when that was first come up, they came up with that. That for me, that was the moment it became clear that this wasn't just a good show, but that we were in for something very, very special. And I wasn't disappointed. Yeah. You know, I think about that even the alt universe, especially, was such a great playground to kind of play in and play in with things that either have been in our history or were gone and allowed them to allow these things to still exist. Even the Zeppelins that are flying overhead and, you know, an era that has gone by. But but I think I think you're right. The emotional impact of seeing the uh, Twin Towers was incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting that a lot of... The first Spider-Man movie uh, had a scene with the Twin Towers, um, with it, Spider-Man, you know, catching a, a helicopter. And there was a there, there was a web caught yeah. between, yeah. But as soon as nine eleven happened, that that was that scene was cut out. Yeah. So. I have that I have that trailer somewhere. It took guts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. It took, and especially you know, a time had, had it had certainly removed. A, there was certainly time between when it happened and when they actually aired the Fringe episode, but there was something. I want to say almost redemptive about seeing the towers there. Something that was, you know, in it, maybe another world, maybe in a, in a weird way, you kind of think, well, maybe in another universe, they, they didn't come down, mm-hmm. you know, that allowed it to be okay with that. Absolutely. And up until that point, the Twin Towers in literature and storytelling, it was like Miles has said, they, it was off limits. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Raul, thank you so much for sharing with us your uh, top five moment and top five things about Fringe. We can't say moments, but mm-hmm. maybe episodes or moments. Period about Fringe. Time's relative. Moments yeah, works. Yeah, yeah, it works. <laughs> it works. If any of you would like to share your top sci-fi moments of anything, um, it could be. And it could even be the worst sci-fi moments of anything. 
you can call us at 1-888-508-4343 or leave a message on SpeakPipe. Uh, you're going to be limited to about three minutes there, so I guess it won't be able to sci-fi five in three minutes. Or you have to call in twice if you want to leave it that way. Or send us an MP3 at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Well, that about does it for the show. We need to wrap up and get out of here. Where uh, where can they find us? Where else on the web? Well, we have our main web main website, uh, SciFiDinerPodcast.com. Uh, also, uh, we, we strongly encourage you to uh, come to our Facebook fan page. Uh, we have... Um, about 330 some some of us on there and we're 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 chatting about the shows we like um occasionally we'll post a funny picture or video um but it's uh facebook page is a good place for all of us to get together and just uh talk yeah Mm -hmm. we are one away from 350 miles oh sweet so one away will you be the next one so so yes please please join our facebook fan page it's a it's a good time it is we have a good time some great discussion Mm -hmm. well i believe that's about it um, we do have coming up a, we need to talk about this mile sometime. We have coming up the, uh, fifth element discussion, mm-hmm. which by the way, M's going to do it with us, I think. Oh, good. So we'll get her on. She already mm-hmm. agreed to do it. We just got to figure out a date and you and I are going to talk mm-hmm. off the air, but it'll probably be mid April. We have Christoph from the Viacom Chronicles. is going to be joining us at the next episode. If you have any questions for him, please drop us a line. And, um, I believe that's about it, Miles. All right, well, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Till next time, good night and good luck. We will see ya. You hold up one hand, everyone waits until we can move again. The burden of command. You up straight Something to prove again Blood in your eyes Screams on the radio They say get out of there We aren't finished yet You tell them to grow a pair They said this air would be breathable Get in
today Instead it was me I go down dramatically Stretching it out a bit Still no one notices When they write me out of it They said this air would be breathable I see the naked sky and I taste the dirt Dark at the edges and closing 